This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. President Joe Biden warned of Armageddon if Russia were to use tactical nuclear bombs in an attempt to turn around its fortunes in Ukraine. The American president said he believed that Vladimir Putin was not joking when he threatened to use such weapons. Russia's recent pounding on the battlefield has prompted rare public criticisms of senior Russian officials, including from Kirill Stremusov, the Russian-appointed deputy governor of the annexed province of Kherson. He lashed out at Russia's incompetent military leaders in a video message. This year's Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to one individual and two organisations fighting authoritarianism in the ex-Soviet region. The prize was shared between Elise Bialatsky, a Belarusian pro-democracy activist, Memorial, one of Russia's oldest human rights organisations, long hounded by the Kremlin, that studies Soviet and modern-day repressions, and the Centre for Civil Liberties, a Ukrainian human rights group founded in 2007 that has documented war crimes since Russia's invasion. Credit Suisse said it would buy back up to $3 billion of its own debt in a bid to reassure investors amid persistent concerns about its liquidity. Before the announcement, shares in the Swiss bank had fallen 55% this year, while credit default swaps and insurance-like derivative had risen. But the latest move helped calm markets. Shares in the bank rose 3% in early trading. Britain's climate minister said that the government was not asking people to use less energy, one day after the company that manages the country's power transmission network warned that homes and businesses could face power cuts over the winter. Meanwhile, the EU and Norway, Europe's largest external gas supplier after Russia cut its flows to the bloc, agreed to jointly develop tools to normalise the energy market and reduce prices. The UN's Human Rights Council rejected a debate on China's treatment of Uyghurs and other minority groups. The motion was proposed by Western countries including America, Britain and Canada. Pakistan, one of 19 countries to vote no, said it did not wish to alienate China. It is only the second time that a motion has been rejected by the council since it was established in 2006. Mr. Biden pardoned all Americans convicted of simple marijuana possession under federal law, fulfilling a campaign pledge. The move affects more than 6,500 people. He also ordered a review of whether marijuana should remain, for sentencing purposes, in the same class of drugs as heroin and LSD. Recreational marijuana use is legal in 19 states and Washington, D.C. Quarterly profits at Samsung Electronics fell for the first time in three years, as demand for smartphones and memory chips plummeted. The South Korean conglomerate, the market leader in both fields, estimated that operating earnings in the third quarter dropped by 32% to 10.8 trillion won, equivalent to $7.7 billion, compared with a year earlier. The woeful state of the world's economy is mainly to blame. And fact of the day. 49.7%. The proportion of German companies that cannot secure enough skilled workers, up from 30% in 2019. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Europe's property slowdown. House prices across Britain and the EU have spiraled since the start of the pandemic. 
but not for much longer, according to two separate indices to be published on Friday by Halifax, a British lender, and Eurostat, the EU's statistics agency. Higher mortgage rates and a cost-of-living squeeze are dampening buyer enthusiasm. From July to August, according to Halifax, the price of an average British house rose by 0.4% to a record £294,260, $342,000. But that increase was slower than the monthly average of 0.9% over the past year. A meltdown akin to America's subprime crisis when prices fell by a third looks unlikely. A chronic shortage of homes has seen prices across the EU soar by 45% since 2010. Tight labor markets, which improve household finances, mean that homes are still being snapped up. But as the market cools, a reversal could be around the corner. Will Ohio's abortion ban survive? The overturning of Roe v. Wade in June has opened up a battleground in the Buckeye State. The removal of federal protections opened the way for Ohio's trigger ban, introduced in 2019, to come to force. It prohibited almost all abortions after six weeks. But in mid-September, a judge in Hamilton County temporarily suspended the law on the grounds that Ohio's Constitution guarantees a fundamental right to privacy, procreation, bodily integrity, and freedom of choice. His ruling, which lasts until October 12th, was a victory for pro-choice campaigners. On Friday, the court will hold another hearing on the injunction, and special abortion cases are percolating through the courts. In June, a 10-year-old was forced to travel to Indiana from Ohio for an abortion after being raped. Indiana's Republican Attorney General threatened to prosecute the doctor who performed the abortion, claiming, incorrectly, that she had not filed the correct paperwork. She is now suing him for defamation. The battles over abortion show no sign of losing steam. Rumbles over independence in Catalonia On Friday, one of Catalonia's two governing parties, Junts per Catalonia, will announce the result of an internal vote on whether to leave the government. Both Junts and its coalition partner, Esquerra Republicana, ERC, support Catalonian independence. Both backed the illegal independence referendum of October 2017, which prompted the national government in Madrid to suspend the region's self-rule. After a bare majority of voters chose pro-independence parties in last year's regional elections, many separatist politicians took the result as a mandate to press on. But the partners are divided on speed. The smaller, more conservative junts are impatient, while the larger ERC has banked on winning concessions from Madrid through a formal dialogue that began last year. A crack-up of the coalition risks putting the independence question on ice. ERC will need votes from more mainstream parties to govern. Those groups will want to prioritize the economy. Despite their differences, neither party wants new elections.
Little Lesotho Makes a Big Decision The general election in Lesotho on Friday will be one of the least-watched votes in the world this year. The neglect is understandable. Lesotho is a poor and tiny country of just 2.2 million people, entirely encircled by South Africa. Yet a new government could jolt the former British protectorate to turn the page on a tumultuous recent history. Since independence in 1966, Lesotho has seen coups, attempted coups, prime ministers fleeing the country, assassinations of military bosses, unstable coalition governments, and, most recently, a former prime minister accused of conspiring with his third wife to murder his second. The charges were dropped in July. Corruption and crime are rampant. Politics is about access to spoils, not the pursuit of the greater good. The next government will probably be another coalition involving ideologically indistinguishable parties. As pressure from donors and civil security mounts, its priority should be to pass constitutional reforms. That is, if it's not too busy at the trough to bother. The Beatles and Bond, 60 Years On Sixty years ago this week, the Beatles released their debut single, Love Me Do, and the first James Bond film, Dr. No, premiered at the London Pavilion. Neither was an instant hit. Liverpool's finest failed to make Britain's top ten, whilst Sean Connery's Bond was roasted by the critics, one calling him a great big hairy marshmallow. Things worked out in the end, of course. The 25 official Bond films have made more than $7 billion at the box office, and the Beatles retain most of the world records for shifting pop music. John Higgs explores the seismic and intertwining cultural impact of the Beatles and Bond in his new book, Love and Let Die. Both heralded a vivid, technicolor break with the buttoned-up wartime generation. Yet, as Mr. Higgs writes, alongside the jet-set modernity, the Bond films cleaved to attitudes on women and class that were already reactionary, and the Beatles won acclaim with the faux-Victoriana of Sgt. Pepper. Little wonder they were so popular in Britain. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday Which demon is also known as the Lord of the Flies? Thursday. Which astronomer was the first to discover Jupiter's moons? The winners of last week's crossword. Thank you to everyone who took part in our new weekly crossword published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Sean Stewart, Delhi, India. North America, Dave Hill, 
Portland, United States. Central and South America, Sebastian Agudelo Restrepo, Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. Europe, Leonid Chindelovich, Nailsea, United Kingdom. Africa, Hasit Raja, Nairobi, Kenya. Oceania, Roseanne Hansen, Brisbane, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Keir Starmer, Korean, taxes, and regime. Check back tomorrow for this week's crossword. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Desmond Tutu, who was born on this day in 1931. Resentment and anger are bad for your blood pressure and your digestion. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.